Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We'll allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchstone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Mesner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you so much, Michelle, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Workshop, Progress in the Treatment of Multipyeloma. And you're going to hear a lot about that progress in the treatment. It's been really quite amazing. And today's program is supported by Bristol-Myers Squibb, and you really want to thank them for the support of the program. Now, um, there are many uh, cancer organizations and blood cancer organizations that really have helped to spread the word about this program. And because of that, and your interest in the program, we have over 253 participants on this call today. And you come from all over the United States, from both urban, rural, and suburban areas. And we also have on the call today international participants from Brazil, Canada, Iraq, Netherlands, Poland, Russia, Saudi Arabia, and the United Kingdom. So it's really a bit of a global call, and it's really a credit to each of you that you've chosen to spend the next hour with us. And now, it's my pleasure to introduce our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Andrew Yee, and Dr. Yee is instructor in medicine, Harvard Medical School, Center for Multimyeloma, Massachusetts General Hospital Cancer Center. And Dr. Yee will be addressing an overview of the treatment of multimyeloma in the context of COVID-19, current standard of care, clinical trial updates in the context of COVID-19, how research contributes to your treatment options, and the increasing role of telehealth and telemedicine appointments. It's my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Yee. Thank you very much, uh, Carolyn, and I'd also like to thank Cancer Care and the sponsors for uh, funding this uh, great program and uh, also for giving us and the speakers the opportunity to share with you some of the excitement that we have in terms of the new developments and how we take care of uh, multiple myeloma. I uh, should just begin just as, so I'm sure many in the audience are already familiar, but for those for where multiple myeloma is a new diagnosis or something that is being discussed, I might just discuss some of the basics of multiple myeloma. Uh, so multiple myeloma um, is a cancer of plasma cells. And you know, when, I think, when I discuss this with, with patients, I, can say, I usually say you know, any cell in the patient can become cancerous. Like breast cells can become breast cancer, lung cells can become lung cancer, but when a white blood cell becomes cancerous, it depends on what kind of white blood cell it is. So some white blood cells, if they become cancerous, we call it leukemia. Other white blood cells, we call it lymphoma. But then uh, when a plasma cell becomes cancerous, we call it multiple myeloma. Now, a plasma cell is a special type of uh, white blood cell that lives in the bone marrow, and its job in life is to make antibodies to protect you from infection. Now, as people get older, the plasma cells that you started off with sometimes may not always behave properly. So when plasma cells start to not behave properly, they can cause a range of outcomes. So for some patients, this can be a condition that's a precursor condition that we call monoclonal gammopathy of undetermined significance where patients have evidence of plasma cells being overactive that we can detect in the blood work and or the urine, 
but patients don't have any symptoms or any problems from that. But then in some cases, these plasma cells can become uh, cancerous, and then we call that multiple myeloma. Now, when these plasma cells uh, become cancerous, they can cause uh, a range of problems, which may include, uh, you know, because these cells live inside the bone marrow, they can thin the bone and cause bone problems, bone fractures. They can thin the bone and release extra calcium. When these cells live in the bone marrow, they can affect your bone marrow's ability to make blood, and so patients can have low blood counts. And then sometimes the, what these plasma cells make, the excess antibody, also known as monoclonal protein, can also affect the kidney function. So we talk about the so-called uh, CRAB criteria, you know, hypercalcemia, renal dysfunction, anemia, or bone lesions. So uh, something to point out is that, you know, multiple myeloma isn't something that you screen for. You know, so some cancers you can screen for, like breast cancer or colon cancer. So, but multiple myeloma is something that's not screened for. And so when we see a patient who has multiple myeloma, generally times it's because they have symptoms related to low blood counts, such as fatigue, or they have a bone-related problem, such as uh, a pain from bone involvement and or a fracture for example. So now when I see a new patient with multiple myeloma, the goal is to, you know, and this is true for, you know, oncology in general, our goal is to help patients, number one, uh, live better, and number two, live longer. And I think what is exciting about multiple myeloma treatment and how it's evolved in the past, you know, 10, 20 years is that there have been significant uh, improvements in the treatment where we can accomplish both goals, live longer and live better, at, at the same time with, without too many, with, uh, without, with, with treatments that don't have too many side effects or manageable side effects. Now, um, something to point out in multiple myeloma is that, you know, we don't think of the treatment as, I, I wish I could say we had a treatment that would cure patients. The treatment we have doesn't cure patients, but it does definitely improve quality of life and improve uh, survival. And uh, but so it's not curable, but again, it's very treatable. And with the treatment, generally speaking, patients are on treatment for an extended period of time. As since as we understand, since the goal is to you know once we get the disease in remission, we patients generally stay on treatment longer term to maintain that remission. Now, um, for the initial part of therapy, it can be pretty involved in terms of you know, numbers of visits to see, to see us for treatment. And when we think of treatment, there are several core drugs that we use. And I should mention that when, and when somebody's trying to look up and understand multiple myeloma therapy, it can be kind of confusing because there could be so many different treatment options that are available. And because there are many treatment options that are available, I just wanted to point out that, you know, what I'm discussing now, you know, it, there can be some variation in practice you know, depending on what part of the state or country you live in. And I think all these different options are all appropriate options. And some of them may reflect uh, different practices of different preferences. Um, so generally speaking, for newly diagnosed patients, uh, we think of, you know, typically we think of like a, uh, we think of combinations of drugs. So a core component of the combination is a drug like Revlimid, which is a pill that you take. Um, it's closely related to thalidomide. And the second drug we think about would be a drug like 
Velcade, also known as bortezomib, which is a shot in the stomach. And then there's also like dexamethasone, which is a corticosteroid like, like, uh, uh, like prednisone. So this three-drug combination is known as you know, RVD. And this combination has been around for at least 10 years. Now, now that's a very uh, standard uh, regimen. Now, in terms of the side effects of the treatment, uh, you know, the Revlimid, I, I do point out, you know, it can be associated with blood clots, risk of a second uh, cancer would be some of the main things I point out. And then with Velcade, also known as bortezomib, it can be associated with numbness and tingling in the feet, also known as peripheral neuropathy. And then the dexamethasone, since it's a corticosteroid, that can, af- can affect the mood, affect blood sugars. Uh, some people feel great on it, but then some people can feel uh, really uh, fit- fatigued with it when they're not on it. But even with all these side effects, in general, I think patients gain much more from the treatment than, than from the side effects for the majority of patients. Now, I should mention that in recent years, there's a newer drug like daratumumab, also known as Darzelix, and this is a monoclonal antibody that targets uh, CD38, which is on the surface of uh, plasma cells. And so this is a kind of more of a targeted therapy, so to speak. And increasingly, we are incorporating daratumumab as part of patients' initial therapy. So sometimes the combinations could be, you know, you, you take three of the four drugs that we just mentioned, like Revlimid, Velcade, Dexamethasone, daratumumab. So you can have these three drug combinations like daratumumab with Revlimid and Dexamethasone, for example. And increasingly, sometimes we also do four drug combinations like daratumumab, Revlimid, Velcade, and dexamethasone would be one uh, example. Now, this is, so in the beginning, when patients, you know, when we see a patient, our first goal is to try to get people to feel better since some patients don't feel well because they have a bone pain related to the myeloma involvement. And so our job is to try to uh, address the disease burden as quickly um, as possible with this with potential three or four drug combination. Now, I should also mention um, in addition to these drugs, there's also high-dose melphalan and autologous stem cell transplant. And for some patients, this is an option. Typically, we think, I think of it for younger, younger patients. And I think young is sort of in the eye of the beholder, so it can be somewhat uh, subjective in terms of uh, the age, uh, in terms of what would constitute a, a patient eligible for transplant. And, and for transplant, but essentially, I think of that as being another means of attacking the myeloma in terms of from attacking it from a different angle. And the more ways you can attack the myeloma, generally, you can get a deeper response, uh, which can translate into longer, better, better outcomes. But again, uh, autologous stem cell transplant is a way of giving high-dose uh, chemotherapy, and where patients have their own stem cells used to help patients recover faster from the effects of the high-dose chemotherapy. And that can be a component for patients as well. Typically, I think of people under the age of 70, but again, that can be, there can be some variability with that. So I think the takeaway from this initial part is that, yes, there's a lot of treatment in the beginning, but then as you move forward, I guess, in, uh, as you move forward with treatment, the, the, the amount of, the, amount of uh, the intensity of the treatment can back down once the disease gets into better control. And then longer-term patients generally on treatment, long-term to maintain the response, and that could be, for example, with 
the lenalidomide by itself. So you go from being on three drugs to being on one drug uh, longer term. Now, uh, I, uh, now in terms of, I think a, a couple of points I wanted to emphasize is that clinical trials, you know, for some patients you may have, you know, you may be offered the opportunity to participate in a clinical trial. Now, uh, clinical trials, you know, normally people think they're going to get like a sugar pill or, or they might not get any treatment. But generally speaking for, you know, oncology therapies, for myeloma treatments, most clinical, almost all clinical trials, there's, there's no like sugar pill per se. Or if there is, the, it, we have to be, you know, the clinical trials are very regulated, so that will always be disclosed to you. But most clinical trials, you know, either all patients are on this, they receive a particular regimen or they're comparing you know, regimen A versus regimen B, which would be the standard of care regimen. So again, all patients are receiving treatment. And I, I think I do want to, uh, you know, because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm an academic institution and, you know, clinical trials really are an important way for, for patients to, for how we come up with the next generation of therapies. And, you know, from the patient's perspective, I think Clinical trials, A, can sometimes give you an opportunity to have access to some of the newer therapies that could become the next standard of care. So that would be one reason to participate. And this could protect, particularly play a role for, you know, when, when the disease shows up again later, later in the disease course, the clinical trial could be a way to get the best possible treatment that's available. But I also think, of, you know, for, for patients where there are available, where there are good standard care options, many patients do enjoy participating in a clinical trial because when you participate in a clinical trial, uh, there are multiple people who are involved and in, invested in in making sure you have the best possible outcome. So patients do appreciate the uh, extra support from being involved in the clinical trial. Now, the you know with COVID-19, um, that certainly has affected. Um, you know how how well it has certainly affected operations to some extent, but I think now that as more and more patients have the opportunity to get vaccinated or, or already vaccinated, I think we're starting to return more to um, to what we were what what life was like before COVID nineteen. I think um, that you now question that does come up is you know if patients are on treatment, you know should you get the vaccine? And I think all of us would agree on the phone that yes, you should. Uh, get the vaccine because I think, you know, my, my interpretation is some vaccine is better than no vaccine in terms of having some benefit from uh, the treatment. It, yes, it's true that if you're on therapy, that might affect your body's ability to generate an antibody response to the vaccine. But again, I think some response is better than uh, no response. So universally, we generally strongly, strongly recommend the, the vaccine if, if you're able, if you have the, uh, if you're strongly recommend getting the vaccine. And I also do appreciate that for patients who are on active therapy, that sometimes coordinating the timing of the vaccine can be challenging. Um, so, uh, you know, if all things being equal, if you, if you could have it during the week off of treatment, that would be better. But again, I would not, uh, you know, I think the, the emphasis is just getting the vaccine. I should. And then related to the COVID-19 would be, you know, increasingly we're also using uh, telemedicine as well as another opportunity for us to uh, engage with our patients. And I think many patients have, and especially for the patients who travel at some distance, have appreciated the opportunity to um, to be able to be able to do the visit from the comfort of their own home. And I think there are definitely scenarios where you know the televisits are, are great, but sometimes it's also really very helpful to be able to see patients 
uh, in person just to be able to see how they're doing and in terms of just being able to better assess, um, you know, functionally how well they're doing. Um, so I think, you know, I, I think the key takeaway message, um, as, just as I'm trying to wrap up here, is that, you know, for most people, you know, multiple myeloma is a very, and, and I've used this analogy before, uh, you know, it's a very daunting you know, it's a lot to, of course, you know, with a new cancer diagnosis, it's a lot. And, and it's on the front burner for everybody where it, that's all they're thinking about, understandably. It's on the front burner. And, and, but the goal with therapy for the majority of patients I see is that we can take this something that's on the front burner and we can put it on the back burner where you can move on uh, with their life. Because I think the therapies we have are so effective they're so increasingly well tolerated that we can get to the point where the multiple myeloma is something that you can just put on the back burner. And I think I can say this for the majority of patients. So, um, and I think with that, uh, I will pass it over back to uh, Carolyn. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Yee. That was really outstanding and really just a wonderful um, overview and just an introduction to multiple myeloma and very comprehensive in scope and I think you set the stage for today's program very well. So thank you so much. Thanks. Um, uh, thank you. And I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A as well. So um, thank you. And our next speaker is Dr. Matthew Butler. And Dr. Butler is Assistant Professor of Medicine, Division of Hematologic, Hematology Oncology, Department of Medicine, Mays MD Anderson Cancer Center, UT Health San Antonio. And Dr. Butler will be addressing new and emerging treatment approaches, the role of transplantation, managing side effects, symptoms, discomfort, and pain, and reducing complications of bone disease. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Butler. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, it's an honor to be invited to do this, and uh, these programs really uh, help out a lot. I've, I've talked to a lot of patients who have... Um, uh, gotten something out of them, and, and uh, it's, you know, when, when you get a diagnosis like this, there's so much information that comes at you from so many different directions, and uh, it's sometimes hard when, when you're in, the, in a clinic or in a hospital and, in, you know, in that intense environment, it's sometimes hard to really process it, and uh, so I, I like opportunities like this to just chat about where we are with myeloma. There's a lot to talk about, and, and uh, you know, there's, we're not, we don't have time to really Go, go into all the details or all the new drugs or all the drugs that are, that are on the horizon. Um, I mainly just want to reiterate uh, what Dr. Yi said so well, which is that um, the state of treating this disease in, in, in the current time is that um, uh, we think of it now as a chronic problem. Uh, that's not to say it doesn't... It, when, when it first comes up, depending on how things go, it, there can be a bit of a crisis and it can be scary and, and overwhelming. But what we're, when you sit down with a myeloma doctor, we're always, we're thinking about the future. We're thinking about the, the, a long-term way to manage the disease um, with medicines that work and that will control it and that will, will prevent it from doing the damage that we know that it can do. But we'll do that also without taking over your life um, and without making you so sick and, and causing side effects that, uh, that really get between you and your loved ones or you and your work or you and what, whatever it is that's important. You know, we want the, the, um, the disease to be 
um, controlled in a way that you can afford not to think about it all the time. Um, the, uh, I'll try to touch on some of the research that's new and exciting to us in the field. Um, but the, the first thing to be aware of is how much uh, uh, progress has already been made. 20 years ago, treat, or 20, a little more than 20 years ago, um, treatments were really limited and, uh, and we didn't have a lot we could do for people. Um, but I, I, there's virtually no area of medicine that I can think of where there's been as much progress uh, in the, over that two-decade period in terms of new drugs, new classes of drugs, new sort of approaches uh, to dealing with this. Um, it's really, they've just come one after another after another, and each, each time a new drug comes along, that means new options for patients, and it means, uh, you know, better outcomes and, and, and longer life sometimes. Um, and that, that progress is not slowing down. Uh, we have, uh, you know, every time we go to a conference or, you know, get an update, from uh, research studies that are happening, um, there's news, and there's there's there are our options for treatment get a little broader, um, and that's thanks to uh, you know all the people doing this research, and also the many thousands of patients who are uh, you know generous enough and brave enough to be part of these clinical trials um, that that allow this us to to move things forward and. Um, you know, as Dr. Yi was saying, being part of a trial is, is a way to, uh, for, for you as an individual to p potentially get the latest and greatest and, and next thing coming along, um, but it's also a way to, to help the whole field move forward. Um, so the, the, a few, just a, a couple of highlights that if you're interested in myeloma and you start reading about what's happening, um, you'll, you'll hear about. Um, stem cell transplant is not new. It's been, it's been done actually for longer than just about any other treatment that we're using. Uh, it's, we, we've known for, for more than 40 years that it was uh, helpful for this disease. Uh, and as other treatments have improved, it's people have questioned how important it still is and whether it's worth doing, and there are pros and cons to doing it. Um, but it is still routinely done. It's been uh, worked out. Uh, the the pr procedures of doing a transplant are now so standardized that it's done very safely. And um, it, it is, it, I, I've known countless patients who have gone through it and, and have, you know, it's, it's helped them to, uh, achieve a level of disease control that it can be hard to get to without a transplant. Um, so that's the tried and true method um, uh, of, of going past the initial, uh, you know, frontline therapies that we, we've already discussed. Um, the, the thing that's on the horizon and is now actually approved by the FDA uh, and is still really hot area of research um, are these m more advanced cellular therapies called CAR-T. Um, and it, it's, uh, CAR is just an acronym for, the, for what they do to the cells. Um, it, it's a chimeric antigen receptor. And T cells are the type of cells that they're working on. They take your own cells and they engineer them in a way um, that, that will cause them to attack the myeloma cells. Um, your immune system should do this on its own, 
but it's it, it, the the cancers are very tricky, and this is why they they manage to become a problem is, is they have ways to evade the immune system, and uh, this is a situ this is a technique where um, you know modifying your immune system cells and then giving them back to you can give them a leg up and give them a, a, an additional um, weapon against the disease. Um, so this is very much uh, being done and it has a bright future and, and uh, you know, you may come across it. Um, but I also caution people that uh, it is just one thing among many. It's the research community is excited because it's so new and it's so advanced. Um, if some patients are able to get CAR-T, many patients don't need that kind of treatment. Um, and depending on where you are and what healthcare system you're part of, it, it's, it's hard to, to get access to it and, and it involves sacrifices that, you know, you might not want to make or be able to make. Um, it is not the end-all and the be-all because we have uh, other new drugs that actually work in similar ways but that are easier to get, more, a little more conventional. Um, there's a, a drug that was approved last year uh, called Belantamab that um, it, it, the, the chemistry of it is different. It's, it's using an a, a antibody protein and, you know, linked to a chemotherapy molecule rather than a whole cell. But the, the, the mechanism or the, the way it attacks the cancer cell is actually pretty similar. Um, and, uh, and it's a little easier to get. All these treatments have, are, are a, a, a long discussion about the pros and the cons um, and uh, the side effects. And, uh, but the, uh, what the, the take-home lesson I try to give people initially is that uh, there are lots of options. If you do what, what we do, uh, the, it's actually a problem of having too many options uh, in the sense that it makes it hard to decide what's, which ones, you know, are best and which ones to use first. Um, that's a very good problem to have. And there are lots of cancers where that, which it's the opposite problem. There aren't, aren't enough treatments. This is one where there, there are a lot. And, um, and so that's why it's good to learn about what they are, and that's what you all are doing today. Um, to, to try to make the best choices. Um, I was asked to, to uh, talk about um, bone complications uh, because that's a, a fairly common way that myeloma affects people's lives. Um, as Dr. Yi was saying, as these cells grow inside your bones, they can eat through or, or erode through the bones and, and you can actually break something. Um, we really don't like to find that out the hard way, which is, which is when a bone fractures unexpectedly. We like to do, use imaging scans to see where places where that might happen. Um, and then we do what we can to prevent it. We use the, the medicines that we've been talking about to control the cancer itself, stop the damage. Um, we do common sense things or simple things. Um, uh, to help strengthen the bones, like taking a calcium supplement is a good idea, vitamin D. Um, certain kinds of exercise uh, can actually enhance the bone health, and I think you're going to hear more about that. Um, then we have medications uh, that can strengthen the bones. 
And if in, in a if we really see a problem that we're worried about, we can sometimes have um, uh, a surgeon help us to to reinforce a bone before it breaks. Um, the idea is we want to do everything we can to keep to preserve uh, mobility, um, so that pe- so that our patients can live normal lives, uh, and to prevent uh, you know damage to bones that can lead to chronic pain. Um, some people with myeloma do wind up with some pain, and, and we, it's, it's important to manage that and keep it under control. But the best way is to prevent bone damage, and we do everything we can to do that. Um, there's, a, I, I think I'm running out of time, and this is only meant to be a quick overview. Um, so I, I won't go into any more detail about other medicines, but, um, but if you start looking into this, you'll find a lot and uh, of, of of ones that are available today and ones that will become available as, as the research moves forward. And uh, I've known lots of folks who have gone through this disease, been on one treatment for a long period of time, had it gradually stop working, but by the time it does, lo and behold, another one is, is available because the research is, is moving faster than the disease did in some cases. And, um, and that's a, a, a hopeful place to be. And uh, I, I think we're going to, uh, you know, as you're on this journey with having the disease, um, you'll see things get better uh, as far as the treatments. And um, uh, I, I hope that that goes well for all of you. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Bell. That was really outstanding and really it was a wonderful presentation. And actually really highlighting um, really so the, all the many new treatments that are available that actually weren't there uh, so many years ago. And so people, when they think of multiple don't realize all that is available. And so, um, you know, I think Dr. Butler has clearly really recommended that you all really work closely with your healthcare team to really get the best treatment for you. It's really important. And, and to not think that there isn't treatment because there, there's a lot of treatment out there. So thank you. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Butler. And um, our next speaker is... Uh, is Dr. Elizabeth O'Donnell. Dr. O'Donnell is Director, Lifestyle Clinic, Massachusetts General Hospital, Associate Director, Mass General Cancer Center Survivorship Program, and Assistant Professor of Medicine, Harvard Medical School. And Dr. O'Donnell will be addressing talking with your treatment team about quality of life concerns, practical tips for managing neuropathy, lifestyle, physical activity, and mobility tips to improve your quality of life, Guidelines to prepare for telehealth telemedicine appointments with your healthcare team, including technology and prepared list of questions. It's really my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. O'Donnell. Good afternoon, and thank you so much for the opportunity to participate in this conference call. My name is Betsy O'Donnell, and today I'll be discussing a variety of topics, uh, primarily focused on quality of life and lifestyle, and really maximizing your relationship with your oncology team. One of my interests and one of the things that I think is so important in cancer care, and particularly in multiple myeloma care, is quality of life. Patients who have multiple myeloma live for a very long time, and during that time require continuous care for their multiple myeloma. And having to come to a cancer center or be on treatments can definitely influence your quality of life. When you have a visit with your doctor, there are so many important things that we talk about, um, including your medications, the doses, refills, and 
very often some of the topics like quality of life or maybe physical function um, don't have as much time for discussion as, as other things. But I think it's really important to know that um, this is an area of interest that's been studied, and we know that both patients and their caregivers do suffer a significant amount of depression and anxiety over the course of their treatment, not just during first line or second line, but over all lines of therapy. In fact, about a quarter of myeloma patients suffer from anxiety and depression, and caregivers about anywhere from about 18% suffer from depression, and anxiety is present about 50% of caregivers. So how do we make this better? How do we discuss this, and how do we improve patient and caregiver quality of life during their myeloma cancer journey? The first thing is to bring it up and have a discussion. Um, your myeloma care providers, whether it be your physician or your nurse practitioner, we care about you, and we really want to help you not only with the cancer itself, but the aspects of your life that affect your cancer care. So opening those discussions up and letting people know if you're struggling uh, or if you just want to talk about these things is the first way in which we can start to address them. If there are specific uh, conditions such as, you know, the, the visit frequency, the cost of medications uh, that impair your quality of life. It's important that your provider know that so that they can make treatment decisions or accommodations that might help your quality of life and mitigate those factors. One of the other things that significantly affects patient quality of life are physical limitations. Because myeloma can often affect bones, Sometimes patients have pain or physical limitations uh, that might impair their ability to enjoy some of their activities of daily living or activities that they would like to do. Um, there are a variety of things we can do to address this. Um, there are resources such as physical therapy that are covered by your insurance. Um, your provider can refer you to physical therapy to help improve um, your physical function and do this in a supervised safe environment if there are any concerns about your bones or other structural limitations. Um, and uh, there are also exercise apps and programs that might be available and free as resources. So, you know, bringing these ideas and uh, areas of, of concern into the awareness of your providers is a first step in helping to address quality of life. As part of quality of life, we think about lifestyle. What is lifestyle? You know, so it's really kind of those areas outside um, in, that include exercise, nutrition, sleep, relationship, and substance use. And so thinking about lifestyle to improve your quality of life, uh, one of the most important recommendations for all cancer patients and all people, frankly, is exercise, so staying active. Um, now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to do um, exercises and cardiovascular fitness. This may mean just staying active and um, doing your activities of daily living, like emptying the dishwasher, doing the dishes. When you get a cancer diagnosis, there's often uh, an instinct for people to help you do things that you've historically done for yourself. And it's important that you maintain your activity level and do things such as simple light chores, if you can't exercise, just to keep you physically active. Um, sleep is so important, um, and particularly the medicine dexamethasone that you use so frequently can interrupt sleep. That's an important topic to talk about with your medical provider. Things like dose adjustments or time of day when those medicine 
uh, are taken, for example, taking them in the morning first thing when you get up can help lessen uh, the symptom of insomnia. Sometimes that's not enough and there are additional medications needed. It's important to work with your oncologist to identify if there are additional medicines that might help you sleep better. Um, being active during the day can help sleep. Uh, also exercise can improve sleep. So really working on that ex aspect of um, your lifestyle can improve your overall quality of life during your myeloma care. A lot of patients want to know about nutrition. Uh, there are no specific guidelines for nutrition for multiple myeloma patients, but the American Cancer Society does have recommendations uh, that include trying to eat a plant-based diet, so fruits, vegetables, and whole grains that could make up two-thirds of your diet avoiding refined sugars and processed foods, uh, eating red meat no more than once per week, and limiting alcohol consumption to one alcoholic beverage a day for women and two for men. All of these um, are some guidelines from American Cancer Society that may ultimately benefit your lifestyle as well. The next topic that I've been asked to talk about is telemedicine. This has been actually a wonderful outcome um, of COVID for many patients. As I mentioned before, the uh, visit schedule for multiple myeloma uh, can be quite busy with visits up to once or twice a week. Um, now out of, uh, we have the opportunity to do virtual medicine, uh, which can minimize the need to ask for rides or transportation, paying for parking, or coming in and um, having to potentially uh, be in a, an environment um, uh, that might uh, be, um, you know, a greater concern for infection risk. Um, and so doing tele telemedicine is a great innovation, um, and you can use it to your advantage. Sometimes when you get to an oncologist's office, it's easy uh, to forget the questions you had. So, uh, you know, prepare for your telemedicine visit. Sometimes uh, if your provider is running late, you have a few extra minutes uh, you can jot down those questions and make sure you don't forget them once the visit starts. It's also an opportunity to have your caregiver uh, be present for the visit. These visits are, uh, I welcome my patients to have um, members of their family join the visit if they're present. And that's also a great way, you know, to address lifestyle issues and also bring in any questions. Um, another workaround, too, particularly for patients with MGUS or disease uh, that is in remission, is to get your lab in advance of that virtual visit. Uh, for us, the SPAP and some of the myeloma mat labs take a couple days to report back. If you know you have a virtual visit, you can get your labs drawn in advance so that you and your provider can review them at the time of your virtual appointment. Finally, I've been asked to touch on uh, peripheral neuropathy. This is uh, a condition that cancer patients can experience where they have numbness or tingling and sometimes pain, um, usually in their toes and fingers, but extending sometimes up um, the leg. Uh, this can be quite bothersome. Uh, for some of our drugs, it's reversible, so an important thing to do is just make sure your provider knows if you're suffering this symptom. We can make dose modifications that can either reverse the symptoms you're having or prevent them from getting worse. Um, you know, when these uh, symptoms are very uncomfortable, they can disrupt sleep. There are medicines that are specifically uh, tailored to peripheral neuropathy that we can provide if the symptoms are painful or are impairing sleep. There are also some topical things like capsaicin cream uh, that can be applied that may be of benefit for mitigating your symptoms. 
And just in conclusion, uh, you know, multiple myeloma is a marathon and uh, quality of life and physical function and happiness are such an important part of the cancer experience. And I encourage everyone on this call um, to make that a priority uh, in your conversations with your oncologist so that we can best care for you um, and, and your life in total. Thank you so much uh, for uh, inviting me to join today. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. O'Donnell. That was really a wonderful presentation, just really, um, and such an uh, interesting focus on the most important thing is quality of life, of course, for everybody, and, um, and of course, the lifestyle and physical activity, mobility. Um, so thank you so much for bringing that in for everybody, and, and it, it means that um, we won't all take that to heart. And indeed, um, our next speaker um, is really um, going to continue that theme, um, and our next speaker is uh, Ms. Donna Wilson, and she's an RN, a Master of Nursing, and she is a Clinical Fitness Specialist, Integrative Medicine Center, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, and founder and head coach, Empire Dragon Boat Team, uh, BC, uh, BCS ACS. And Ms. Wilson will be addressing the importance of including movement into your daily living. And it's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Wilson. <clears throat> Hello everyone, this is Donna Wilson. I'm a nurse and a personal trainer and I've been working with cancer patients for many, many years. I want to just talk about keep moving, which is my tagline. I want to stress to you that the overall, just to keep yourself functional and to be able to do your activities of daily living. We know that regular exercise is overall important for overall health, but for you at this time, it's important to be able to do the things that you like to do, if it's just being with your family members or just going out for a nice walk. I would suggest that going out for a walk would be wonderful. Going out, it doesn't matter the pace that you walk. It doesn't matter that you how fast you walk. It matters that you're out there and you're mobilizing your body and you're moving. You might, you know, if you want, you sit down a little bit. You just need to take a break. And most importantly, think about your breathing pattern. You know, I look at our breathing pattern as the perfect exchange. Um, so when you're out there working and you're moving, you know, that's going to make you work a little harder. So when you want to go out for a walk, think about breathing out and really blowing out. So if you think about it, try to blow out for a mental count of about five. So as you're walking, you just breathe out so you don't get so fatigued. And this way, you, as you breathe out, you take more oxygen in, which will make you feel so much better. But the most important thing is just be movement. Just think about, let's think about this. Let's, if you're sitting and you wanted to just do a shoulder roll, moving the shoulders around gently, moving your arms out side to side or up and down, just the most important thing is to just to maintain the flexibility of our joints so they don't get too stiff. You might just stand up and just sway your arms back and forth and lift your knees up a little bit. Nothing too strenuous, but just enough that we maintain that flexibility um, of your body. 
there's lots of things you can do. You can even think about doing when you go up the stairs, and I know stairs are very hard to do. So make sure that you hold on to the banister. But as you use that and you go up slowly, put one foot on the step and breathe out as you pull yourself up to the next step. If you have to just take your time, just take your time. Put one step up, breathe out, and go up. Just think about as you get, you think about your breathing, it might help you be able to do some of the movements that you would like to do. And most importantly, when you're sitting down and you're ready to get up, you know, when you're ready to get up from a chair, you have to use a lot of the leg muscles and they get weak. So again, maybe have somebody help you up or have something next to you to lift you up, but make sure you breathe out as you stand up. It'll really make the world of difference and it'll make the difference that you'll be able to get up and do things. So I look at not only just being flexible and movement, but also your breathing has a lot to do with it. You might just stop and do some breathing exercises just to get the chest wall. We breathe because the muscles on our chest wall help us breathe. So just sitting and relaxing and breathing in through the nose and breathing out. And just do that very gently and very easily. You'll get everything moving, and you might feel like you can take a bigger, deeper breath. It always will oxygenate your body and feel so, so much better. So the most important thing I would say is please remember the tagline, keep moving. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Maybe it might be matter that when you are in treatment and you feel tired, those are the days you do nothing. And then all of a sudden, a couple of days, you might feel better. Get up and take a soul walk or start to walk around your home and see how you're feeling. Just take your time and do it, but just kind of swing your arms a little bit, kind of do a little shoulder roll, kind of shake your legs a little bit. Nothing, nothing strenuous. Everything really modified and helpful. And the days that you're tired, that's your, you can be tired. But don't think that, don't be too sedentary. I just want you to really keep that line, keep moving. And just think, what can I do today? Not too much, but just a little bit. So I'd like to just end and say, think about the power of your breath is to breathe out. And most importantly, keep moving, keep, keep walking. Have a great day. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much, uh, Ms. Wilson. And that tagline of keep moving, I know I have it in front of me all the time. It's, it's uh, for most of us who are, um, you know, it's just it's, we spend too much time probably sitting. And so remembering that, just that phrase and, and trying to do things that keep you moving is really important. So thank you so much. And, um, and before we move on now to the, um, to our, um, you know, our, our, our questions. Um, actually, I do actually just want to say a word or two about cancer care services before we. Um, so, um, I just want to. I'm Carolyn Messner. I'm director of education and training with Cancer Care, and um, Cancer Care offers a host of free programs and services for everyone living with cancer. So, all types of cancer, um, all ages, um, both people living with cancer themselves, people who are caregivers, partners, loved ones, family members. 
Um, the programs, many people call us on our Hope Line, 1-800-813-4673, or visit our website at www.cancercare.org. We have about 35 oncology social workers, and when you call our Hope Line, um, there's a number of services we provide. One is we offer support. Um, a chance to talk to someone about your concerns or questions. We also offer practical, financial, and co-payment assistance, um, and also have special funds for COVID as well. Um, so this makes a very big difference to people who are struggling with these issues at this time. We have a practical case management service, so this is a resource you need if we don't have it. Um, our, our case management staff will connect you virtually to the organization that we think could help you, and we will stay with you until that organization meets your need. So we won't just give you a list of places to contact. We will actually take you there virtually so that you actually have a place to, to get your, you know, your help from, where you're connected. It could be in your local community, it could be in your region, or it could be a national organization that provides um, services for you. There's the Multiple Myeloma Research Foundation. Um, there's, um, there's a number of organizations out there um, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, a number of organizations that offer all types of services. So we will connect you to those larger organizations as well. In addition, we do offer online support groups. We do a number of these workshops per year, about 75 of them, on different topics, different types of cancers, and also issues for caregivers. And um, indeed, um, uh, a part two of this program will involve um, care in terms of issues for caregivers. Um, but we do offer a host of services um, for people um, as well. Um, and so um, to keep us in mind in that respect um, as, a, as a resource for you in addition to your healthcare team. And now we have time for questions. And I'm going to ask um, Michelle to bring our speakers on board. Um, and actually, uh, Dr. Yi will be on with us for the questions. So I'm going to um, ask Kathy to, uh, I mean to Michelle to go ahead and um, to, um, to explain to the audience how to queue up for questions and uh, online. Michelle, can you provide those instructions? Okay, we have a number of questions. If you would like to ask a question, please submit them by clicking Ask a Question. Okay, so we have a number of questions from everyone online, so I'm just going to, um, we're just going to be able to take a few of your questions. Um, and so the first question is, so um, for Dr. Yi, uh, is it safe to currently participate in clinical trials for multi-myeloma? Should I get fully vaccinated first? Right. Um, that, that's, a, that's a good question. I think, um, you know, it, it sort of depends on what the status of your, you know, disease is. I think, generally speaking, one way of approaching this is that when patients have active disease, that probably puts them at higher risk for having problems related to COVID-19 infection than not, uh, than, than if, they, if, then, if their treatment was under good control. So, and sometimes the best way to get their disease under good, better control is by potentially participating in a clinical trial. So, I, I think that it's, it's sort of a nuanced situation. I think on a case-by-case -case basis, um, you know, in some patients you may have the option of waiting to be vaccinated and then participate in the clinical trial. Now, having said that, you know, I imagine most clinical trials would allow patients to to undergo COVID vaccination while they are participating in the clinical trial. So I, I don't think you necessarily need to be fully vaccinated to undergo a trial. And then moreover, while you are participating in the trial, you could theoretically undergo the vaccination at the same time. 
Thank you. And the next question is um, has, for Dr. Yi, um, has stem cell transplants been performed with patients who are relapsed and refractory uh, to four lines of treatment? Right. So, um, so that's, a, that's, that's a great question about, you know, the timing of the autologous stem cell transplant. So, that, so generally speaking, uh, patients, uh, the, the, one, the, the prevailing standard of practice has been to perform the stem cell transplant uh, up front in the beginning during their initial therapy. So usually that's after, you know, say four cycles of therapy or more, you know, patients undergo their therapy, and then they have the high-dose melphalan and stem cell uh, transplant. Now, increasingly, patients, some patients are opting to have their stem cells collected but deferring the, undergoing the transplant until later on. And so that strategy has been evaluated in, in a clinical trial that randomized patients to having the stem cell transplant up front or at time of when the disease relapsed again. And in, in that trial, they found that the outcomes were equivalent, arguing that, yes, it's fine to proceed with a stem cell transplant you know, a, a, after you've relapsed from your initial therapy. Now, in terms of after relapsing from before drug therapy, I think the same principles would apply, and certainly if that is an option that your provider, your, your teams have recommended, I think that would be an appropriate, um, you know, an appropriate use of stem cell therapy, after, even if you were to have relapsed after a four-drug regimen. That could be considered. Also, other options would be uh, participation in other clinical trials. We also are looking at, for example, CAR-T for patients after, you know, after an early relapse from their initial therapy. So there are all these potential options, and the short answer is yes, you could consider doing the stem cell transplant at that time. Thank you. And another question um, is in terms of the um, calcium level, um, should the person be taking calcium supplements or are there other treatments to maintain um, quality of bones um, in terms of multi-myeloma treatment? Sure. So... So generally speaking, when patients uh, are on therapy, as Dr. Butler you know, mentioned, in order to, to maintain bone health, we generally patients are generally on a bone strengthener, and that could take the form of you know, Zomata, or in some patients it could take the form of Exgiva. A lot would depend on there's some practice-to-practice variation. Now, typically when patients are on Zomata or Exgiva, the calcium levels can tend to drop, and that's why it's important for uh, for patients to take supplemental calcium, and that will help those bone strengtheners work better as well. So generally speaking, our standard recommendation is for patients to take a calcium supplement. You can take an over-the-counter calcium supplement as well as vitamin D supplementation as well. Now, what gets a little bit more complicated and maybe part of the motivation for the question is that there are some patients who have elevated calcium as part of their myeloma there's, you know, about 10% of patients with multiple myeloma can have elevated calcium. And at that time, maybe they, those patients would hold in the calcium supplementation, but what happens is that once the disease is under better control, the calcium levels will normalize or maybe even become lower than normal, and then I would recommend calcium supplementation. So the short answer is yes, most, almost all patients should take a calcium supplement with multiple myeloma. And then this will be the last question, but um, how long... Um, do the wait? Do this one wait until they change treatment if it is not working? Right. So, uh, how long do you wait when the treatment? So, it tend, it, tend, it kind of depends on. So, one one thing I should have mentioned in 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 my 
talk was that, you know, generally speaking, patients continue in the treatment for as long as it uh, continues to work. And ideally, that treatment can work for years and years. Um, however, you know, over time, the myeloma can become resistant to the current therapy. And when it becomes resistant to the current therapy, we call it relapse disease. And when the disease relapses, it can take various manifestations. Now, for most patients, when the disease relapses and when the disease isn't as responsive to therapy anymore, that can show up as, you know, rise in the monoclonal protein or the free light chain or the myeloma-related labs are starting to show. Before, they were decreasing on therapy, and now they're starting to increase. So that could be one evidence of relapsing disease. The other way the disease can relapse would be patients can you know, present with a new bone lesion on therapy, or they, you know, the patients can actually feel the relapse because they have a symptom related to the relapse, such as a bone problem, fracture, or they have lower blood counts, or they have worsening kidney function, or they have elevated calcium. So in one scenario, the patients don't really have any symptoms, and it's more of a biochemical relapse. And in those patients, there isn't as much urgency to start new therapy. And some of those patients, you can be more selective and watch very closely and see how things evolve. And then you may make a decision to start therapy. And some of it depends on the tempo of that increase. So it can be weeks to months before you actually start a new therapy, depending on the tempo of how quickly it increases. Now, in patients where they have a symptom related to the relapse, a clinical relapse like a bone break, a new bone lesion, then there's then in those patients there is a little a little bit more of an urgency to start a newer therapy. So I would not wait as long before starting a newer therapy if you have a symptom related to the relapse. So again it depends on the type of relapse. Excellent. I want to thank you, Doctor Lee. I want to thank all of our speakers. It's been a phenomenal phenomenal call. Wonderful questions. Really uh, really terrific questions, and also um, and thank you, Dr. Yi, for really addressing so many of these questions. Now, we know there are many more questions in queue, and so I uh, do want to actually um, uh, remind all of you that for those of you who even asked a question, we want you to go back to your treating healthcare team and get your questions, of course, answered. And for those of you, um, because they know the most about you, and for those of you who are listening and have a question but haven't yet had a chance to ask, answer, ask it or, or made you think of another question, uh, again, use your healthcare team because they know the most about you. But in addition to that, um, we do suggest that you also um, – you know, that you, you also want to, uh, um, you, know, uh, um, you know, you definitely want to kind of take advantage of all the services that are out there. There are a number of uh, organizations that offer services, one of them being Cancer Care. And we will send you at the end of this program a survey monkey in which you'll be able to uh, do an evaluation of the program. But also in addition to that, we will also provide all the resources, um, uh, you know, that people need for um, know, that they could possibly use and, and might be very useful, and that, are, and that are actually reputable and very well-respected um, resources for you to access. So we want you to be sure to go to credible sources to get information, including your healthcare team. We also recommend that you be sure to check availability in terms of um, the uh, healthcare team. Um, and so 
that's really very important in terms of particularly evenings and weekends. Always seem, things seem to crop up then. So definitely be sure to check with your office, your doctor's office, in terms of their availability um, in terms of weekends and evenings. And in addition to that, um, I do want to also suggest that I know many of you may be feeling very alone during this period of COVID, and it's normal to feel alone, but once you know that you're part of a community of support and we're all here to help you. So please take advantage of our services, both Cancer Care and all the other resources we'll be providing you and your healthcare team. With that being said, I want to wish you all a very fine day, and thank you all for your participation today. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone, have a great day.